All righty. It is uh, 103 on an absolutely stellar Saturday. Good time to talk about what we talk about every weekend, right? Disability law, dealing with that disability insurer. And if you have a uh, friend, a colleague, family member going through this and, uh, you know, under stress and, and duration and, and all kinds of strife from an insurance company, you know, maybe they've been denied or they have been cut off. Maybe they weren't accepted in the first place. They've been told to appeal. There's a million different things they can go through. Uh, no questions are too small or too silly. Bring them all on. We'd love to talk to you. We are live, of course, so you can bring it on here on air and uh, and get it happening. That number, of course, 416-872-1010, 416-872-1010. If you want to use Use your fingers on your smartphone. Send along a text if it's quicker or simpler. 71010 is how you do that. And we'll get to a pile of email here in just a bit. It keeps coming in. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. All that is coming up very shortly. And we'll refer to our website, which is free and anonymous for you to use at any time called mydisabilityquestions.com. That's all on the way over the next hour in your phone calls. But first, we get to a uh, week, uh, week that was or case of the day. Uh, Tamar, what's going on with you, my friend? All good. You know, lovely Saturday afternoon talking Big disability time. law. <laughs> this it. this week, though, was really consumed by a file I've got coming up for mediation for a client. And it was a really interesting uh, backstory. So I thought I'd share that with our listeners just as a way of kicking us off today. And it involves a claimant who was eventually diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And for those who might not be familiar with this kind of a condition or disease, it's a disease or diagnosis of exclusion. What does that mean? It means the doctors have to go through a whole bunch of tests and they have to eliminate everything else. And then they will conclude that it's fibromyalgia. And why I'm chuckling a little bit is because it can be actually really difficult to diagnose. And it can be very difficult to treat as a result because no two fibromyalgia uh, claimants, at least the clients that I've had, have matched up in terms of the symptoms that they have and the treatment efforts that they've made. And ultimately to the point that they've arrived at, which is a conclusion with their own medical team, that they are totally disabled and not capable of working. And so my client falls in, in this category because the insurance company ultimately denied her claim. And one of the things that they seem to have thrown back in her face, which of course I'm going to take to town with them come the mediation in a couple of weeks, was this idea that she was capable of working for a long period of time uh, before her doctors and herself decided that it, enough was enough. And she was in the process of trying to get treatment for each of the different symptoms that she had. And John, she had physical components, so chronic pain conditions, um, you know, mental health type conditions, obviously stemming from the pain. She had difficulty sleeping. Uh, so she was having trouble cognitively performing some of the duties that she was doing in her work setting. And actually, her work was being quite cooperative in doing the duty that they're to do, which is to accommodate and actually work with my client to see whether or not she could, you know, alter her hours, perhaps work from home for a period of time, maybe do a reduced capacity work for a period of time. And all of that in the background was still with her not actually being diagnosed with fibromyalgia just yet, but obviously having these various symptoms, which in and of themselves together put her into a position where she couldn't continue working, even though she had a demonstrated ability that she tried to keep working. And I give her a lot of credit for that. And I think that that really is a fact that the insurance companies love to say, hey, you weren't that bad. It wasn't that severe. You know, you worked for all this period of time. 
Sure, you've got fibromyalgia, but people with fibro will work. Not a problem. Very dismissive, right? Yeah. And I think part of it as well was, at least in my client's situation, they couldn't really come up with a rehab plan. And we talk about this as well on the show, which is, you know, the insurance companies, they may throw money at your claim. They may actually even suggest, hey, go and see our great rehab people. Yep. You know, you can do some occupational therapy, maybe some psychotherapy, maybe both. And in eight weeks, you'll be great and you'll be back at work. And so they had her in one of these plans. Obviously, she wasn't making the right progress because she was clearly not ready to actually make that kind of progress. And her, you know, health situation is not that cut and dry. You know, adjusters like to put things in neat boxes, right? And when it doesn't fit within that neat box, then they're going to grapple and try and find ridiculous reasons to deny the claim. And so ultimately, there was a, a bunch of weak reasons why they denied her claim. And thankfully, she came to us and said, look, you know, I think that I should be challenging this disability denial. And by then, she had been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And of course, her doctor, her primary doctor, had already started funneling her to different specialists to try and address each of the different conditions that she was dealing with, at least out of the gates. And so, you know, many months later, um, you know, after she had gone through the ringer a little bit with the insurer, we are now essentially at the doorsteps of trying to get a resolution. And John, I am convinced that this claim is going to resolve. I, I not only because we've started the legal claim and my client is, you know, doing everything that she can to improve her health and at least maintain some level of function, but also because I think everything that she went through and her commitment to try and improve her health actually gives her a lot of credibility. And with claims like fibromyalgia, the types of conditions that are progressive, so they get worse with time, that are difficult to see on a scan, it doesn't fit within this neat box. Well, the courts have said that's not necessary. They've said as long as you have those symptoms and those symptoms prevent you from working, then you should be entitled to disability benefits. And I can assure you that their lawyer knows the same thing. He and I have talked about this file. He knows what I know, which is this isn't going to be a good look on their client if right. the case doesn't settle. And this is why these mediations are so effective is because, look, it's without prejudice, it's privilege. So, you know, after we sell these claims, we can't really talk about them. But I can assure you in the lead up to them, we will do all the work for our clients. We get all the medical support that's needed and we best position the claim so that we can leverage that against the insurance company to get an excellent, efficient result for our clients. Because my client is relatively young, John, and there could be many years left on this policy and I can assure you that the insurance company is mindful of this, which is why they resisted approving her claim at beyond the, the handful of months that they already approved her, because she just simply wasn't progressing in the way that they wanted her to. And I think they probably knew that they would have had her on claim for a long time. So I start off our show talking about this for a number of reasons, partly due to interest, partly because this is what's been consuming me the last week or so, and will be probably for the next week until we lead up to the mediation, but also really to get out to our listeners that this is a very effective way to advocate or allow us to advocate for you against the insurance company, even when you're sort of going through this with the insurer and thinking, well, I did everything they asked. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess you're they're right that I worked for a while and I don't know, maybe I have hope that I'll still return, but right now I can't work. And right now my doctors are saying I have to focus on my health. Okay. If that's the case, you really do need a disability lawyer to advocate for you. 
and move forward with a legal claim to challenge the insurer because you are owed that money. Doesn't it really speak to the uh, the process, or at least on the on the client's um, side of, of mitigation and the real effort to mitigate? I mean, I know it's part of the policy; you have to mitigate and try to get better. I get that, but some people don't take that as seriously as your client. But I think, as you said, it, it bodes well and it looks really well, and it makes it tougher for them to cut you off and hold their position when your client has done and continues to do everything they can to get off this claim and get back to work and get better. Mitigation's huge, isn't it? It is huge. And it's an important legal concept, actually, because it's this idea of being committed to trying to minimize the loss, right? So in essence, in the disability context, at the very least, is this idea of ensuring that you're trying to do what you can to recover, and you are making positive steps for that recovery. Because these disability policies, they're, they're not meant to just be paid for you to sit back and not make those efforts, right? They are embedded in this kind of idea of mitigation when they have clauses in their policies that say you have to have appropriate treatment for your disability in order to get that LTD benefit, or you must be under physician's care in order to get that LTD benefit. So the insurers, are they're clever. They've got their own set of lawyers, right? And Mm -hmm. they're drafting these policies to make sure that they are including this concept of mitigation right into the words of the contract that is binding on a claimant like my client, like many others. And I absolutely agree with you that if we can demonstrate, and we will in my client's case, that she is trying to make those efforts, but is still not well enough to work either at her own occupation or any occupation for that matter, then absolutely she should be getting LTD benefits. And John, we're not just talking historical benefits. When I get to obediation, I'm not just talking about the past. That's absolutely the starting point. But in a situation like hers, we have to talk about the future. And we have to look and fairly evaluate that if things are not going to get better for her from a health perspective, maybe she's okay and she's alive and she's okay in the sense that she's meeting her home duties and this sort of thing, but not well enough to function in any sort of work setting that's going to pay her roughly her LTD benefit or even her own you know on own occupation salary then this is absolutely something that we need to talk to the insurance companies about if we are going to achieve a resolution and most insurers that's really actually what they want they do right. want a lump sum settlement john they don't actually necessarily want to put someone back on claim to have to continue to deal with their claim because that costs some money right Everything is the quickest point from A to B for the insurer that costs them the least amount of money. So in fairness to my client, I think that we need to think about what that future looks like. And that will absolutely be part of our conversation, along, of course, with the mitigation efforts that she's made and where she's at from a health perspective. And with that, we'll get into our first break here, give you some time to grab a phone and either call us, text us or email your questions, here's how you do that, 416-872-1010 to call us live on air, 71010 for a text. You can do that as well. And we'll go right to our emails after a short break. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Tamara Gopian here, San Fierro Tamara and LLB is doing all the heavy lifting. So bring it on for the rest of the hour as we continue here with the Disability Law Show. Stand by. Alrighty, we are back at it. And uh, good to have you here. One nineteen on your Saturday. You have time to call in and talk to us if that's... Uh, what you prefer, 416-872-1010. Text us your questions as well at 71010. And want to concentrate on a bunch of email for the remainder of the hour as well. And you can you can send them along, not just for the show, but beyond that, Tamar and her team, always ready to uh, to reply to you, give you some information. will cost you nothing, right? Help at disabilityrights.ca. 
And that phone number too, they're always encourage you to call them at the firm and have a conversation because sometimes these matters, you want more of a private, lengthier conversation with Tamar and her support team there as well. one 855 821 5900. Okay, Ilya, first one up says, Guys, I'm on long term disability. And uh, my insurance and doctor wanted me to try to return to work. I did it for two weeks, but started having panic and anxiety attacks. And my doctor wants me to go back on leave. Insurance is saying I'm able to work since my doctor had cleared it. My doctor is saying I cannot now. What do I do to get the insurance to pay me? I went off one medication during my return to work on my doctor's advice because of side effects of headaches and cognition slowness. What do you think? Really good email, Ilya. And I think that the bottom line is you need to follow medical advice. I mean, and John, I say this a lot and maybe it's like, oh, tomorrow you're saying the same thing over and over. Yeah, I am because you got to follow medical advice. The insurance company is going to do what they do. Okay. But if you are putting yourself in harm's way and you are going against what your doctor is advising you to do, that is not helping anyone whatsoever. And Ilya absolutely is entitled to disability benefits in a situation like this. So why is the insurer doing what they're doing? Ilya may or may not know most of these disability policies have a section in it that says, if you've come off claim and you get back to work and your health prevents you from working once more for related conditions, directly or indirectly related is usually what the policies say then you are again entitled to disability benefits. This is called the recurrence clause. And if it happens within six months of a prior payable claim, Ilya is entitled to get back on claim. And you submit further medical information. You get the doctor to provide very clear medical advice saying, yeah, I I cleared for the return to work weeks ago. Maybe by then it's been several months, John. Who knows how long that return to work plan had had been put in place. But I was monitoring the health issues throughout the return to work. We had changed the medication to allow her to actually function at work. She describes headaches and cognitive slowness and this sort of thing. And if that didn't work, and it sounds like it hadn't, then it was on medical advice that she stopped working, not on her own decision, right? And I think that's critical. I understand that a return to work can be really challenging. For a whole host of reasons, John, especially if you've been off on disability for a long period of time. So just that idea of returning can be difficult. But I gave her a lot of credit. She did it on the advice of her doctor. She did it the right way in terms of getting that medical clearance. But then the return should be closely monitored for this exact reason that sometimes you're just not ready. And that's okay. That is what disability benefits are there for. And so if she's got, I mean, it, it sounds like she's got some mental health conditions, uh, John, when she describes to us um, panic and anxiety and this sort of thing, and perhaps some changes of medication around that. So if it's a mental health disability, regardless of what may be causing those symptoms, the fact that she actually attempted that return and it was not successful does not necessarily mean that it gets the insurance company a pass. They don't get a pass in a situation like this. Their policy actually contemplates and encourages people to do this, to actually return back to work. And if they can't, then the insurance company should be stepping up and paying the LTD benefit. And so this is why I have a really hard time when I hear from people who call us, John, even sometimes my clients whose doctors are saying, but yeah, yeah, no, but you know what? You should just try if you try the return to work and it doesn't it doesn't work, then you're showing the insurance company that you're definitely disabled. No, 
Yes and no. I mean, it can cut both ways because once insurers see that there's a partial capacity to work or even a full capacity to work, they're going to be backing away from that disability claim. They're going to say, we don't have to pay you that LTD benefit. So I think that advice, yes, it comes from the doctor, but it's an important conversation to have because you don't want to rush back. Because once you're off claim, I can assure you that the insurance company is going to resist you being back on claim, even though they absolutely should be paying you that LTD benefit. So go ahead. Is that that something you should bring up with your doctor saying, look, I know know we think we might be able to try here, but here's what the insurance insurance company is probably going to do if I do step foot inside my workplace again, but then I can't do it. They're going to deny me benefits saying, hey, you went back. Or does the doctor not care about that? Look, they should and they, they should care about that, John, in the sense that you know, it's their patient and you don't want to put your patient in a work setting that may make things worse, right? I think though that many doctors are really focusing on sort of the treatment and the wellness of their patient and perhaps don't understand or don't know enough about disability law or disability litigation. Why should they? And and I never want to put myself in a doctor's position, nor should a doctor put themselves in my position necessarily, right? But it is an important conversation to have with a patient when you're trying to make this critical decision about whether or not your patient is ready to return. And I encourage people to have an open dialogue with your doctor about this and say, hey, doc, um, look, I've been getting disability benefits. You may or may not know this. Insurance company obviously is going to reach out to you to get medical records and updates. And I need to be closely monitored during this period of time. And I really appreciate and value your opinion throughout all of this and to help me get through. Because the goal, I think, John, you know, insurance companies are cynical, but I think the goal for most people I speak with and their medical teams are to try and be successful in getting someone back to work. Nobody wants to be on disability. Nobody wants to be fighting with a disability insurer for LTD. And so I think that having these discussions with your medical team, and, and this could be your doctor, it could be your physiotherapist, anybody who's treating your psychotherapist having that open dialogue with them about where you're at from a health perspective and the importance of their opinion about where you're at is critical. Because think of a situation with Ilya where she is given the green light by her own doctor to return, but that return requires accommodation or it requires ongoing restrictions and limitations. For example, she described headaches. So perhaps she needs to be in a quiet space without overhead lighting. Maybe she needs limited time away from the computer. I mean, I'm not really sure. I don't have a lot of details about her health condition, but you can see that those kinds of restrictions and limitations are important to be validated by the doctor and then communicated to the employer, right? Because the employer also has a duty to accommodate you and ensure that those restrictions are put in place properly so that your return to work is successful. So if you don't share those limitations with your doctor and they don't know about it, then they're not going to write anything about it. And you're not going to have the information that you need to put back to your employer to say, hey, you know, these are the things that need to be put in place to give me the best possible chance to make this return to work stick. And if it doesn't, that is okay too. If the doctor is saying you're not capable of doing this any longer, you've got to get back on claim. That's all right. And if the insurance company resists that, please do know that you have rights to those benefits specifically, as I said, under that recurrence clause. Let's uh, slide over to mydisabilityquestions.com. Get started on this one. It says tomorrow is diagnosed with osteoarthritis in both knees and lower back, as well as COPD. Oh, stand by. My computer just went black. Coming right back. Hang on. I really got to update my software. How about that? (laughs) 
Hold on. I'm getting it. Hang on. Here we go. Here we go. Unless you have, you want to read it? You want to sure. read it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead and read it. So mydisabilityquestions.com says, uh-huh. uh, so diagnosed with osteoarthritis, lower back, knees, and COPD. I've been off since August, 2022 on LTD. The insurer tells me that the files they see are of a mild diagnosis and they are sending me to an eight week rehab program. And I'm expected to return to work shortly after that. My knees and back are in incredible pain despite the mild diagnoses. Anything I can do? Really right. good question. Yeah. Thank you for reading that, by the way. We're back in action. Go ahead. No worries. <laughs> no worries. And so, look, we're seeing a physical disability with pain being the primary barrier for work and the radiological evidence or the stuff you're seeing on the scans describing the conditions as mild. John, we see this a lot. Yep. Just because it's described as mild doesn't mean the person isn't feeling it more more strenuously, more severely to the point where they're not capable of working. And when you've got multiple parts of your body, as this person describes to us, then both knees and the back being impacted. I mean, look, depending on what your health issue and your job is, that is going to disable you from working, especially if this person's been off for a number of months, August 2022. I mean, we're talking 10 months now that this individual has been off work. And so the expectation of the insurer is always going to put it in the best possible light that that you've got to go into assuming that they just want you back on your feet and back to work as soon as possible because they do not then have to pay your monthly LTD benefit. But if your situation is more nuanced than that, in other words, if you've got subjective complaints like pain, regardless of what the the medical information is saying, you've got to have that symptom or those symptoms validated by your doctor and put over and emphasize to the insurer that perhaps this return to work plan is premature, too early to start if you're in so much pain, despite the fact that the medical information is saying mild diagnoses. And with that, we're going to take a short break. Again, that was MyDisabilityQuestions.com. We're back for another one of those and more emails. Send yours along, help at DisabilityRights.ca. And you can always go to MyDisabilityQuestions.com. This is the Disability Law Show. Continues in just a moment. Hang on. 34, we are back. Tamara Gopian to reach out to Tamara anytime she's standing by. Got a great team with her. You want to make that phone call uh, on your own time, right? Leave a message too or talk live. You get a chance to do that. one 855 Email anytime, help at disabilityrights.ca. Short, concise, easy to read, non-legalese memos all about the topic of LTD can be found freely as well. LTDFAQ.ca. That's how we do that. So I want to check that out. I'll give you another email address. Uh, That's help at disabilityrights.ca. That's where we're going after uh, we get to one tomorrow. Again, from mydisabilityquestions.com. They are pouring in today. We love it. It says, guys, I have submitted an LTD claim and just found out because of my employment date that I'm subject to a pre-existing condition clause and insurance wants to access all of my medical records. Do I have to provide them? I'm concerned they will find a reason to deny my claim, Hmm. which they will anyway. (laughs) (laughs) They may, John. They may. So look, let's unpack this a little bit because the pre-existing condition clause is a very specific legal uh, clause that exists in these disability policies. It's a clause that can be different from one policy to another. This is this is one of the clauses, John, where I always say to people, you want to see your policy. I mean, you generally want to see your policy anyway. Right. But if you're dealing with a denial from the insurance company on a pre-existing basis, 
you want to see exactly what the policy says on that specific provision. Why? Because the words really, really matter on these kinds of claims. They matter because you want to see whether or not the insurance company has it right. A lot of the times they don't, John. So let me give a loose example. Mm -hmm. If you're making a disability claim for depression, let's say it's even major depressive disorder, and your doctor has said associated with that is potentially some anxiety, and you've got some other health issues, and this is why you're claiming disability. And then the insurance company will look at your prior medical records and they'll say, yeah, but one time in this time frame, you went to see the doctor and you complained about anxiety, just anxiety, nothing about depression. Okay. And they say, because of that, you are now denied disability benefits. Well, hang on there, insurance company. Depression and anxiety are two totally different things. And depending on what that pre-existing condition clause says, the timing around when you saw your doctor prior to your disability claim for anxiety, not depression, really does matter as to whether or not the insurance company got it right. Because what they're looking at is this. This question specifically points out the fact that, look, because of my employment date, I'm subject to this pre-existing condition clause. Yes. Why is that? Because these clauses typically only apply if you are making a disability claim within that first year of being covered and likely being employed with your employer. Usually that time frame aligns, right? So you start a new job, and you get your disability package along with your extended health package, all the stuff that comes with getting a new job. And then if you find yourself uh, from a health perspective unable to work and are starting down the process of making a disability claim within that first year, then routinely the insurance companies will look at whether or not the reason why you're claiming disability is related to something that you had beforehand. And some policies will say that's like three months before coverage. Other policies will say it's a year. So they'll look at your health for a year before you even became covered wow. and say, you know, we see this little entry where you saw the doctor for this one thing and that's related to this thing. And so we're going to, you know, deny your claim out of the gates. They don't even pay on that basis, John. You don't even get to dollar one if the insurance company is denying you on a pre existing condition clause. And I'm going to get on my soapbox here a little bit because <laughs> I know the history around this clause, John. It, it was meant to be in here for people to not insurance shop, right? So think of a very extreme example, like someone who's just been diagnosed with a serious cancer condition. Maybe they don't have insurance. Maybe they're thinking, I'm going to need some insurance. I'm going to go get myself a job. Right. And mm -hmm. I know the job will have you know benefits, right. including long-term. And so, of course, insurance companies are saying, okay, come on, that's not the kind of individuals we, we should be insuring. You know, it's very, very risky for us and this kind of thing. And we're risk adverse as insurance companies. So we're going to put in a clause to protect from that. Okay, I get that in theory, but they don't actually use it this way, John. They use it as a sword as opposed to a shield. I say this a lot. They use it almost like a weapon to say, oh, oh yeah, you're within that first year. We're going to find something in your health records so that we can deny your claim. So this question says the exact right thing. I'm concerned they're going to find a reason. Yeah, they might. But you should provide your medical records anyway. Because if you don't, they're going to deny you anyway. They're going to say, hey, we didn't have enough information, so we assume it must be pre-existing, and here you go, here's your denial letter. Right. Or we don't have insufficient, we have insufficient information, and we're going to deny the claim. So I never want people to feel like they shouldn't share that information with the insurance company. You should. It can take a long time for them to do their pre-existing condition review, 
But on the outside of that, if you know it's not related to a prior health issue, what's the downside? Give them that information, let them make their decision. And if they've made the wrong decision, if they've applied that clause incorrectly, this is an excellent basis to challenge the disability insurers. I was actually speaking to one of my colleagues about this, John, this week, um, Albert Klein. You, I know you know him. Yep, and Albert's been getting uh, quite a few consultations on this pre-existing condition clause. So there seems to be a lot of vigor by the insurance companies about using this clause. I guess maybe they had, didn't make a lot of profits last year. So maybe <laughs> they're trying to find these technical reasons to deny claims, right? Because if they can deny it right out of the gates, they don't have to adjudicate, they don't have to pay premium, or they don't have to pay the LTD benefit, and they will accept the premium happily uh, and just tell you you're not entitled. So if this is sounding familiar, you know where to reach us, give us a call, let me put eyes not only, not only on your policy, but your medical information and what the insurance company is saying, because there are many instances where they don't have a right. Good stuff. Fanny is up next. Fanny, be tender. Here we go. Uh, an email says, I am currently on LTD uh, through my work insurance company. There you go. I've been on LTD for a couple of years now due to a chronic illness, and I'm never able to go back to work. My insurance company is saying that I have to apply for CPP disability, and I don't understand why or what the ramifications are, etc. cetera, uh, are of doing that. Uh, they are at the point of telling me that if I don't get the paper soon, they'll assume that I've applied for CPP disability and I'm receiving the maximum amount, which they will then start to deduct from my checks. I really need some reliable professional advice ASAP guys on this matter before I move forward as my insurance company is directing me to do so. Well, great email, Fanny. And I think that I cannot emphasize enough the importance of actually getting this professional advice. We offer it for free. So you might as well give us a call, get a free consultation. We'll take you through it. Uh, but the question that Fanny's actually asking, John, is somewhat routine. So as disability insurers do, they have included in their policies routinely a section that says, okay, if you are disabled, we're going to pay you the LTD benefit. However, if you are entitled to a whole bunch of other things or get money from other places, like the government for CPP disability, yep. we as insurance company get to take a credit for that. So some insurers are better than others. There's one in particular that comes to mind that will vigorously tell their claimants, go apply for CPP. They do that because if you get even $1,000 a month from the government, then guess what? Your LTD benefit is going down. However, I actually think, Fanny, that the good outweighs the bad on a CPP disability application, especially where you've got a chronic condition, one that is likely resistant to treatment, as you say, and it's likely to impact your ability to work for the foreseeable future. That is actually what not only LTD is there for, but the, the CPP disability is there for that as well. It's meant for people who have a severe and prolonged disability. And if your doctor supports that you're in that category, then you are eligible for payments from the government. And it can be very helpful leverage against the insurance company to say, well, I am CPP disability approved. The government agrees I've got a severe and prolonged disability. Surely that means that my LTD benefits should be approved and paid. And so where there are instances that insurance companies have denied claims, even when the face of a CPP disability, I can tell you those ones resolve very quickly, John. Months, within months, I'm able to call their lawyer and say, hey, what are you guys doing on this one? And they say, yeah, you know what, tomorrow we probably shouldn't have denied this one. So I like the idea of Fannie applying for CPP disability. 
but being mindful of the fact that that credit is going to flow to the insurance company against the LTD benefit. And Fanny, if you've got any other questions around this, we have a fantastic memo on how CPP disability works with LTD on one of our websites, www.ltdfaq.ca. Right, John? CA? Yep. That's right. That's CA. That's where it goes. That's where it goes. So check it out. And with that, we'll take uh, one more short break. we got lots more to get through in the uh, time that's ticking away. Nicholas, your email is up next. Appreciate it, pal, for sending it along. You can send one too. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. And always call tomorrow after the show and going forward, 1-855-821-5900. We continue with more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. It is 1.50. We are back for a few minutes here and get to a couple emails as we uh, close out the show for another Saturday. Beyond the hour of the show, as mentioned, you can always reach out to Tamar and her team. That email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. You can also use mydisabilityquestions.com. And everybody still likes to make that phone call, have a uh, conversation, 1-855-821-5900. Okay, Nicholas, you're up. Thanks, pal, for the email this afternoon. It says, guys, have been uh, recently approved for LTD. And it's been three months since my first payment. The disability manager at the insurance company is requesting that I go to an IME, which is supposed to take eight hours. I've been approved for a mental health claim. They haven't even got a report from my psychiatrist yet. Do I have to go to this eight-hour appointment? Yeah. Nicholas, that is early in the claim. Hey, John. So he's, he's Look, I mean, he's been approved for three months. That's good. He's that yeah. He's been approved. Uh, but I really don't like the idea of him attending an IME before his own psychiatrist has weighed in on how he's doing, how his mental health is, what the treatment plan is. Nevertheless, though, unfortunately, Nicholas, most of these disability policies have a section that says, if we think you need to be assessed and we want you assessed by one of our own doctors, then you do unfortunately have to attend. And frankly, even if the policy is not even that clear, John, about attending an independent medical examination, an IME, I would say that Nicholas should attend anyway. So look, there are things you can do here, though, Nicholas. I think number one is you do want to make your own doctors aware. So make your own family doctor aware and your psychiatrist that your insurance company is asking you to attend this examination. I think eight hours seems really long for a mental health examination, but get some details from the adjuster. What is that going to look like? Do you have to talk to someone for eight hours? That seems like a long time, but fine. Get some clarity around what's going to happen during the assessment. Find out where is the assessment? You know, if sometimes there are situations, John, where people like Nicholas are being asked to drive for uh, several hours to get to an assessment. I don't think that's right. And I think that if people are going to be put out that way, the insurance companies really should be facilitating transportation or perhaps even considering a virtual uh, assessment as opposed to one that has to be done in person. But if I'm Nicholas, I want to find that out and I want to make sure that I'm sort of pushing that envelope with the insurance company to make sure that I'm not spending eight hours plus another four potentially traveling to, to an assessment. I think Nicholas should also consider maybe bringing someone with him uh, they may or may not be allowed to sit in, uh, but at the very least, it might give him some comfort to have a support person with him for the assessment. And of course, you want to make sure you get a copy of the assessment once it's done. So that's why it's important to tell your doctor and psychiatrist that this is happening, because the insurance company is unlikely to release that report to you. And there's going to be a report, John. These experts are hired specifically by the insurance company to provide 
very narrow, detailed opinions on can Nicholas work? What's Nicholas's diagnoses? What's the likelihood for him to return? You know, what are the treatment plan uh, recommendations that need to be made? Usually those are the four or five questions that they're asked. And the answers to those questions then will uh, govern or dictate what the adjuster does with Nicholas's claim. So if their own doctor says, he's got this diagnosis, but in three months, he should be good to go and work. Guess what? They're going to try and bring his claim to a close within three months, even though they just approved him, even though his own psychiatrist has yet to provide his or her own opinion to the insurance company about how he's doing. This is why these insurance companies spend this kind of money on hiring a hired gun is because they're hoping that they can bring these claims to a close very early on in the process. So Nicholas really does need to protect himself. You know, even thinking about taking notes after the assessment, John, you know, people don't think about maybe journaling what their experience was, what what they were asked, how long did it actually take? Maybe, you know, maybe it was booked for eight hours, but the psychiatrist or psychologist that he met with only talked to him for 15 minutes. I've heard that before, where it was booked for a whole day, but the actual time they spent with the specialist giving the opinion was very, very limited. So I think all of that really, really helpful. And then once you get that report, once your own doctor has that report, look at it, review it. Yes, it can be dense. It's typically 8, 10, 12 pages of material. But if there are mistakes in there, if there's assumptions being made in there that are not right, information that wasn't provided or incorrectly dictated there into that report, you want to highlight that to your adjuster because the adjuster is going to rely on it being accurate and true. And I have seen IME doctors make mistakes all the time. And then that's the time to make sure that your psychiatrist and doctor are ready to respond to the report. So if the report is saying something different than what your own doctors are saying about how you're doing and your treatment and your ongoing symptoms and perhaps your diagnosis and prognosis for a return, then you want your own doctors to respond and make clear to the insurance company their own opinions about how you're doing. That is really... You know, it frustrates me that Nicholas's psychiatrist's information isn't available yet to the insurance company, but by the same token, maybe that's better. In some ways, perhaps, if the IME goes through and there's conclusions made and they're different from what his own doctors are recommending, then that can then be put over to the adjuster, and there you go. There's information and evidence and proof that the adjuster cannot ignore saying that you're not capable of working, these are the treatment measures going to be put in place, and that LTD benefit should continue. So look, again, there's a helpful memo on this for Nicholas if he's looking for it on our LTD FAQ website, but I wanted to make sure that I was responsive to his email uh, during the last few minutes of our show in case other people are wondering, okay, what is an IME? It's independent medical examination, folks, but nothing can be further from the truth. It's not really independent. It's really just the insurance company trying to hire someone to give, give them the opinion they need to try and bring your LTD benefits to a close. And Tamara's referring to ltdfaq.ca, by the way, ltdfaq.ca. We talk about MVAs, motor vehicle accidents from time to time, too. Do insurance companies treat those disability claims differently? They can, John. They can. I mean, it's it, here's the thing. I'm going to leverage my experience here a little bit. Been doing this for a long time. Did a little stint at one of these big insurers, and <laughs> yep. I can tell you that optically, uh, anecdotally, what I seem to think or know, whether I can prove it or not in court, is that I do think the adjusters treat the MVA claims differently. And 
I, I don't know why that is. I, like I said, they are very cynical. And I think that when they see a disability claim arising from a motor vehicle accident, for whatever reason, I think that cynicism is even heightened. It's like a hundred times more for whatever reason. Uh, you know, look, motor vehicle claims, which by the way, for our listeners is an area of law that we practice in. Uh, we practice across the country and we do motor vehicle litigation as well. So if you're involved in a motor vehicle accident, please don't hesitate to reach out to us because You've got a lot of entitlements as a motor vehicle accident claimant, uh, no fault benefits or accident benefits as they call them, potentially a tort claim and short-term and long-term disability. And I think why adjusters may be a little bit more probing is because claimants who are getting disability on the basis of a motor vehicle claim and injury are getting all these different sources. And I think adjusters assume that people just want to take advantage of the system. I've yet to meet someone like that, John. I, I think it is a very, very poor way of looking at these kinds of claimants. But because they, you know, by legislation in Ontario, we have all these regulations and rights for people to get compensation when they are hurt in a car accident, as they should. I think insurance adjusters become that much more, um, you know, careful about how they are adjudicating these claims. Plus, you know, they also know that there will be another insurer involved. And not insurer, whether it be for no fault or for the tort claim, will also submit claimants to things like IMEs, like we were talking about in Nicholas's situation. And so those adjusters, both for the you know, motor vehicle claims and for the LTD claims, may share information on the results of those kinds of assessments. And that may help the LTD claim come to a close sooner than it should as well, because they're not doing their own assessments. And they may not even be providing their own rehab or support. They're just looking to see whether or not the LTD benefits should be paid. And on that basis, we'll rely on that to try and bring claims like this prematurely to a close, unfortunately. And we have come to a close as well. Reach out now to Tamar going forward, 1-855-821-5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca. That is it for the Disability Law Show. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll catch you next weekend as well. 